Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Lee Himsworth, manager of the Fidelity UK Opportunities Fund, and Shamik Dar, chief economist at BNY Mellon Investment Management. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yesterday, the UK headed to the polls in a momentous election set to decide the course of the country over the next five years. Voters overwhelmingly backed the Conservative Party, which is up nearly 50 seats, and its leader, Boris Johnson, will now govern with a majority of about 80 MPs in the House of Commons. In the manifesto, the Tories pledged to find a social care solution, tackle pension tax issues and up the national insurance threshold to help lower earners. But what does a Conservative majority mean for investors and the markets? The UK has been rife with uncertainty over the past few years, and we've seen investors react to this by avoiding UK equities and other supposedly risky assets. How would the result shape this going forward, Lee? I think the reaction is likely to be manifested through a reaction in sterling, as we're seeing this morning and as we've seen in terms of movement since the Brexit vote in 2016. So the initial reaction is a very mechanical one towards that in terms of re-rating assets, re-rating anything that has uh, an excess amount of profits in the UK, generated from the UK, and then a reaction to the the bond yield movement as well that we're seeing. So any company with a large pension deficit or anything related to that, such as banks, are reacting positively this morning. And then the feed-through is likely to be seen through perhaps an early budget that gives stimulus to uh, the lower end of the market, perhaps through national insurance contributions, so perhaps felt through leisure um, companies and maybe in house builders and so forth as well. So the consumer should do well in the near term and then we'll we'll see what happens after that. Shamik, anything to add? Yeah, I, th- I broadly agree with that. I think um, it's a pretty stunning result. That's the first thing to say. And I think the um, resolution of uncertainty or the reduction of fear really will, will be the sort of primary driver initially. I think that's why we've seen, uh, you know, we'll see quite a strong rally initially in stocks and of course, we'll see. We have seen sterling rise. Um, I think uh, as as the dust settles, though, after after a month or so, I think markets will increasingly focus on what kind of Brexit we're likely to end up with at the end of the day. Um, if it's uh, towards the harder end, and I suspect it will be, um, you know, I suspect we'll we'll end up looking for something like a, an EU Canada free trade deal. Uh, and if that's the case, then at some point you might see sterling coming under a bit of pressure again. Um, so I wouldn't say that, that the initial reaction is necessarily the sort of three to six month, uh, sure. three to six month reaction either. Well, Boris Johnson's infamous catchphrase throughout this election has been to get Brexit done. And it looks likely his deal will be through Parliament by Christmas. So, I mean, it'll take a while, but long term, what does Brexit mean for investors and the markets, Shamik? So I've I've long been uh, sceptical of some of the scarier estimates of, of what Good Brexit to <laughs> does to the economy. I mean, um, you see numbers like 7 or 8% off GDP over 15 years, and that just seems crazily big to me, to be honest. Um, so from that point of view, I think that might help UK assets over, you know, over time. Obviously, it'll take time to see that being realised, the fact that, you know, things aren't quite as bad uh, with any kind of Brexit as as the markets might have priced in. But I think given that, plus the fact that UK assets are pretty cheap, they've been beaten up quite a lot uh, over the past year or so, I think 
it all adds up, and obviously with the reduction of uncertainty, I think it all adds up to a pretty rosy outlook for UK risk assets for the next uh, year at least. Um, if we do get some sterling weakness at some point, as I suggested earlier, then you might see some of the sectoral um, uh, performance change around a little bit. You might see um, uh, some of the exporters uh, doing a bit better than they will do initially. But um, but broadly speaking, I agree with Lee that, it, that that overall it looks good for the consumer as well. Yeah, I think it's probably slightly a, a wider question than just than just Brexit in itself in the respect that we've had quite a significant political impasse for the last year, i.e. other uh, elements of legislation that haven't been able to be passed because of the, the ongoing malaise that we've seen in Parliament. So uh, other um, acts of legislation can get through, hopefully, from this point onwards because there's a working majority. Politicians can get on with the day job effectively. And I think that helps the UK... Um, corporate sector en masse on the basis that a lot of companies quite simply aren't affected whether we're in or out of the European Union because most businesses actually conduct themselves on a local basis and most businesses employ local people etc. Yes, the very large companies are affected, less the very large companies are affected by supply chains and so forth. But many of those supply chains are, are, are come from the Far East, again, that don't really have a, an effect of whether we're in or out of the European Union, whether it's retailers and so forth. So I think the uncertainty removal is a very good step for smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses. And I think that the arguing at the fringes about the minutiae of different regulations and so forth will affect certain companies. But for the average person in the street and the average company, it's let's get rid of the uncertainty firstly and so we can take on more people or we can invest or we can open a new office or a new building or whatever it is that, that's been on hold for the last three years. And I think it's that getting rid of the, the blockage that, that's key to, to the UK going forward from here. I think, I think that's right as well. I, I think small to medium-sized businesses look like the ones that are going to benefit the most in the short to medium term, especially if sterling remains strong. So I'd expect FTSE 250 to outperform FTSE 100 maybe over the next uh, few weeks yeah. and months uh, for that reason. I think that's absolutely right because I think when you, you actually look at the composition of the UK market, the very largest companies are not really UK companies. The miners are, are more dictated by the price of certain minerals. The oil companies uh, reporting dollars are, are affected by the price of oil. The banks even are, are more dictated by bond deals than necessarily what's what's going on in their own their own business plans. And I think it's very much the mid-250 and small cap that are uh, run the fortunes are, are down to how they enact their own business plans. And that's far more down to local regulations, local yeah. economies, etc. Okay, so we've obviously discussed that uh, sterling has rallied a bit this morning. It rose 1.84% against the dollar and hit a 39-month high against the euro. Um, obviously, over the past few years where sterling has been weaker, companies that make money outside the UK or investors in uh, other stock markets have had a had a sort of boost because of this. Um, will this reverse as sterling strengthens? Do you think that investors in those markets will feel that? Yeah, it's a good question because I think that we've seen the, the Brexit impact has really been felt through the sterling movements over the last three years, and we're seeing it again today in terms of some reversal. But I think it's it's worth worthy of note that going back to pre the vote, the bottom end of the band versus the dollar was in the relevance of one forty, and so we're only really moving back to that level at the moment. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to see it push significantly through that certainly, 
But I think we're now into a scenario where the UK market or economy may push forward a little bit, certainly versus the, the major trading partners. So we may be into a scenario next year where uh, we get some marginal upgrades to GDP forecasts, which will be unusual in the G7. And then the emphasis may be on raising rates rather than cutting rates. And so the UK becomes quite an interesting entity on a global basis. Yes, on a discount to uh, the peer group, but also into that slightly more positive economic outlook, it may become even more attractive for overseas investors as well. So a good outlook, I think, in the near term. Again, hard to disagree with any of that. I think what you might see is a little bit of I mean, short term, I think, yeah, sterling retains it sort of 135 uh, heading maybe to back towards 140 level. Um, but come sort of mid-year or, you know, three or four months from now, people will start to be thinking about are we going to ask for an extension on the 1st of July? What kind of um, deal is being negotiated? What will it look like, et cetera, et cetera? And some of the twists and turns in those negotiations will be will be uh, reflected in, in the value of sterling. So I don't expect sterling volatility, if you like, to fall dramatically from here. And we could see some retracement, you know, come mid-year if, if, if it looks like we're going towards the sort of harder Brexit end of things. So away from Brexit now, uh, the Tories have committed to spending more money on public services, uh, probably one of the most public spending manifestos the Tories have released in years. Should investors be preparing for higher inflation in the UK? And if so, what do you think they should do about it, Shamik? So the short answer is no. I don't think inflation is a huge problem. I mean, the UK is slightly unusual in that in that it's it's one country that has managed to hit its inflation target over the past uh, five to ten years on average. Most countries have undershot it. And it's fair. I think it's fair to say that had it not been for Brexit uncertainty, the Bank of England would have considered or maybe have actually raised interest rates by now more than they, they've been able to do. What I would say about the spending pledges is, I mean, the Tory, there was, there was a lot of sound and fury during the election about both, uh, both parties' uh, manifesto commitments. But... There was actually a huge difference between them. The, you know, Labour was talking about raising annual spending, annual current spending by about £80 billion a year and investment spending by £55 billion a year. The equivalent Tory numbers are only £5 billion a year. So there was actually a major difference between the two parties. In truth, some of, some of that's down to the fact that the Tories had pre-announced some of that increased spending. Um, at the end of the day, do I think that relatively modest increase in spending will be inflationary? Short answer, no, uh, because I suspect there's more capacity in the UK economy than most economists think. Um, and also inflation expectations are very well anchored. Um, so at the end of the day, I suspect this will probably be more or less purely a, a, a boost to aggregate demand uh, and a non-inflationary one at that. Yeah, I think I'd echo a lot of what's just been said, although I think it's worth remembering that inflation isn't necessarily always a bad thing. We need some in the system to help investment, help planning and so forth. And and also inflation erodes the relative value of debt, which clearly as a country we've got a big chunk of debt to effectively pay off. Inflation helps in that respect. In terms of where the inflation comes from, I think is important as well, because I think it, it's it's going to be seen in, in wages and at the at very much at the bottom end in terms of helping through national insurance, etc. And, and I think that's a good thing because uh, we need some move towards uh, helping the uh, balance the inequalities that are in the country. And services clearly need some spending on them across the piece. We've gone through a significant period of time where 
we've had some creaking at the fringes in in all sorts of infrastructure so that definitely needs to happen but i think that's actually it should be helpful to to the uk economy um, full stop. But I think that the inflation as a problem is not really something that we need to worry about in the near term because we've still got massive excess capacity globally. And so until that, that works out of the system, it's not really something for us to, to fear like we did perhaps in the 70s and 80s. And, and I think that inflation in the short term shouldn't really be an issue because with sterling moving as it is, hopefully that should help food prices and so forth, food supplies and supplies of, of clothing and so forth into the UK as well. So it's not really going to be a, a big issue, I don't think, to to lose sleep over. Uh, you mentioned interest rates, Shamik. So obviously we've seen low interest rates for a decade now in terms of the base rate. Do you think the Bank of England has any plans to tighten policy in? and rise those rates? It's hard to say. I think if you'd ask... So absent the Brexit uncertainty, maybe six months ago, it was pretty clear that the, you know, absent Brexit, the bank would have been raising rates at that point. But then actually the world economies took a step downwards at that point. I think the balance of opinion on the MPC has shifted. It's a pretty close call. I think some still hanker, if you like, for... for a, They feel that interest rates have probably been too low for the for the true true underlying strength of the economy uh, for the past couple of years. But as I said, I don't think uh, they'll be looking very closely at the size of the fiscal stimulus. If they think the fiscal stimulus looks like getting much larger than has currently been announced, for instance, as Lee said, if, if there's a very expansionary budget announced in January, then they might consider raising rates, I think. Uh, but otherwise, I think they're going to sit on their hands for a little bit uh, and think very hard about it. Yeah, I, I would think that's absolutely right. I think that before the Bank of England move, they need to see what sort of budget may be proposed. And then also, as we go through the year, the sort of discussion that we're having with the European Union. So that's clearly a, a major impact on the the outlook for, for interest rates and bond yields particularly. But, you know, globally, there's there's it's very difficult to see the UK standing out versus its main trading partners. Uh, so it's difficult to see us significantly raising rates versus you know, the French, Germans, et cetera, and US and so forth. So um, if, there's a, if there's a tilt at all, it'll be just a marginal movement, I would think, um, perhaps upwards, but sure. um, difficult to see a big rise. Lee, are there any particular sectors of the market that you expect to be majorly affected by today's result? Any big winners, any big losers? Yeah, well, we've already seen a significant move uh, this morning already, but really related to the removal of a of a left wing risk in terms of any regulated activity. So, utility companies are moving this morning. Gaming stocks, uh, bus or bus and rail companies, anything yield sensitive as well. So, banks, life assurers have been moving. Asset related mm. uh, companies, so house builders and real estate companies, and then perhaps anticipating a, a fairly soft budget. Some of the uh, more leisure focused and retail focused stocks are going well as well this morning. So. How does that feed through? I think it feeds through because the UK was on a discount to to its obvious peer groups, but also the removal of the uncertainty perhaps allows companies to plan, allows individuals to plan the fortunes as well. So perhaps that's good for house builders and so forth in the near term. So I think it's a, it's a good outlook. Going back to the earlier point that was made about mid-250 and small cap, that's probably the place to to be over the next mm. year, certainly. And then we'll, we'll see more how the, the EU discussions pan out. Shamik, anything to add? 
Uh, well, no, Lee's the expert there, so not really much to add. The only thing I'd say is that, again, that sort of domestic bias, the, the 250 bias that um, that Lee talks about makes, makes a lot of sense. We, we, we might see a bit of an investment boom, actually. Um, you know, boom's not too strong a word, but I think there's been quite a lot of pent-up demand. So you might see some of the capital-intensive uh, sectors uh, doing particularly well, and also construction, because I suspect there will be, uh, you know, quite a lot of pressure to to increase house yeah. building. I think what you may also see is you may see some corporate activity as well, on the basis that some people may have been hesitant to come into the UK. The corporate activity we saw through last year was largely uh, driven by people looking at assets, so hence why some of the pub groups were were, were looked at or taken out, and there was some corporate activity. Equally, it's typically unique assets, things like Cobham were taken out and Entertainment One. So maybe that starts to move down the spectrum into other sorts of assets and so forth as as people get a little bit more confident as to the outlook. Lee, Shamik, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode.
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.